Right, everybody, it's podcast time. I have got a fabulous guy that I've worked with for a number of years in, in different guises, really. But the thing we're going to talk about today is very key and at the heart of most recruitment leader strategies for 2022. Alex, tell us who you are, what your purpose is, where you work and why you're on the podcast. Wow, what my purpose is, that's going to take about half an hour anyway. Uh, so I'm Alex Evans, I'm the Managing Director of Talent Partners. Talent Partners uh, connects the talent ecosystem, bringing together HR leaders with uh, RPO leaders, staffing leaders and HR tech leaders across our vast community uh, of members. Um, the purpose of the business actually is, is, is really to do just that, is to connect those people so they can learn from each other, so they can learn from their peers, learn from their clients uh, about what's coming up in, you know, on the horizon in uh, in recruitment and HR. Uh, my personal purpose is to, I suppose, yeah, to to uh, to fulfil my curiosity about stuff. I like I, this is my tenth industry now, so and I like learning about different industries and getting under the skin of them. So uh, as long as I'm interested and I have an interesting conversation, I'm pretty much a happy person uh, and, and a good lunch as well. Loving it, absolutely. And recruitment is a very interesting industry because it's obviously covers, well, I see personally as a fourth emergency service, but then I would say that I've been doing it for 22, 22 years. Um, and obviously the last two years have been interesting. We're here to talk today about focus. The one thing I am hearing from every client that I work with is they have to focus on way too many things. When is it going to slow down? Not that we like the word slow in recruitment. Mm. Things have gone crazy in recent years. And as you and I were discussing before we went live on this, if it's not Brexit, if it's not COVID, if it's not war, what is it? And we, I genuinely think we are on this crazy trajectory of this is how it's going to be. And I actually have a theory. And I think you might be able to tell me if I'm right or wrong. I'm just going to share with you the, my theory of where we are right now. Mm. I think normally the Earth is controlled by aliens from outer space. Um, and it's normally fine. There's normally, yes, you could go back in time at all the crazy stuff us humans have done. But in recent years, it has gone a little bit nuts. I think they've been drinking. And I've got this image that they're in their spaceship right now, slowly waking up, looking at themselves and going, oh, we've had a bit of a bender. Maybe something needs to happen. The dials have been pushed a bit too hard. Do you think I might be right, Alex? Do you think there's aliens from outer space controlling us and our experience right now? Or do you think there's something else going on? She says, discuss. Yeah, um, I think I think the, the the idea of somebody else being you know in control of all of this and manipulating this is quite seductive. But um, <laughs> it, it's but it's like it's like people, you know, that come up with conspiracy theories about about government uh, and Machiavellian uh, plots and stuff none of them are competent enough for that uh and i don't think there's anyone really with enough intelligence uh to to control that much on on planet earth i think what what's happened over the last couple of years i think um certainly with the pandemic and lots of other stuff is that i think we've, we've just seen the assertion of control of you know the individual really people wanting to work where they want to work where they want to work you know i think there's less compromise about work-life balance in terms of I want to spend time with my kids you know I want to I don't want to have to commute four or five hours a day uh, I don't want to have to live in a you know share a flat with people if I can get access to a garden um, and I think over the last certainly over the last year with a talent shortage it's it's kind of gone 
the way of the candidate or the worker because employers are having to listen in a way they haven't done for for a long time and that's you know it's created lots of challenges for them but it's also created lots and lots of opportunities as well and uh i think and the and the recruitment industry um has been forced to adapt like everything else like employers as well well, I'm glad you put my mind at rest because I was beginning to worry. Well, I actually thought if it was aliens and they are actually starting to sober up, then maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel. But obviously, we know that that's not the case. Yeah, no, and I, I like I, I how you've taken this right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it was if it was the little green men uh, that we keep hearing about, you know, uh, running the world with the Illuminati. But um, but yeah, no, I think it's I think it's more boring that. I think, yeah it's, it is and it's about like you said and I love the fact and I've actually written this down the assertion of control by the individual and I think recruitment leaders are probably well I don't know I might be putting words in my own mouth here but certainly the majority of recruitment leaders I'm talking to right now are being hit from a lot of different directions and whereas before they were being hit by the candidate and the client and I, I always work on a four C's mentality candidates clients colleagues and cash mm. they're now also being hit potentially by the colleague i.e like you say They've got a snifter of working from home. And, and do you know what? It does work. It can work. That's why I call it working from home. Mm. Um, it, but also it can work in the office as well, but it only works if there's process. And even before COVID, lots of recruiters suffered from a lack of process. And all that COVID did was expose that and expose the need for people to be watched while they were working. I'd like to think a lot of my personal clients have grabbed hold of process and gone, we need this. We need to be able to trust people no matter where they're working. Um, so we've got we've we've obviously got now 2022 or if you're listening to this in 2023 rock and roll mm-hmm. um, we've got this disruption hitting recruitment leaders from all angles almost 4d she says mm. so we need but we need to help them create focus on this podcast we need to, we need them to have a takeaway from this podcast Alex that one or two things that we suggest from everything that we've seen in both lines of work that we both have um, of where they can go. I'm going to take this and I'm going to do it. So we're going to ask, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going mm. to ask you three questions and, and obviously you can add in more questions as well. But here they go. Here we go. So I'm going to ask all three questions first and then we're going to backtrack. So is there really a candidate shortage? Because we hear a lot about this. We hear a lot about the candidate shortage. And that does lead recruitment leaders to make some fairly interesting decisions about how they spend their cash and time and how their recruiters spend their cash and time. The second question is, we need to get more out of less. We've always used this this language, but you know, if we are wanting to trust our staff to work from home and give them more tools to use, then just buying loads of stuff doesn't necessarily make them more productive. So we need to get more from our people, our data and our systems. We need to talk about that. And we also want to give them some really cool practical tips because you and I are, in the, you and I are really lucky. We're able to work with lots of recruitment businesses and get excited about some of the things that many of them are doing and then share that with the world, whereas most recruitment leaders are often not in a space where they get the benefit of hearing what's working elsewhere uh, for whatever reason that might be. So it'd be great to share some practical tips for training your staff, not just buying loads of stuff and hiring loads of people and then going, I hope that works. Mm. So those are our three questions. Let's start with the first. So Alex, from your perspective and all of the stuff that you've done over the years and the work that you're doing in talent now, talk to me about this candidate shortage. Is there one? 
So, so yeah, so we produce uh, an annual recruitment power list where uh, we, we rank the top 500 recruitment companies by turnover. And we and we do, uh, and we have tracked in the past, you know, the number of people working in recruitment around that top 500. I think, you know, it, it shows us a couple of things. One about, you know, the massively long tail in recruitment, uh, but also how few companies have really scaled in recruitment uh, and who's who's working in it. I think we, we probably i think we've got a sense that between 2020 2021 we saw about 10 to 15000 people leaving the staffing industry to go into other industries or to go in house uh, but again in trying to find hard data on that uh, in the industries is is pretty hard it's you know, very anecdotal i think what we did get was uh linkedin uh we got some data from them from our last summit uh our, our point six prediction summit in march which showed that in 2021 there were about 246,000 people who said they worked in the staffing industry in the uk and about 65,000 of those moved jobs so when when linkedin talks about the great reshuffle rather than the great resignation it's certainly within the context of uh, of the staffing industry i think that's what they meant that people were, were changing company there were necessarily leaving the industry i think uh, broad data i think you know office of national statistics you know 1.2 million vacancies at the end of last year or 1.3 million vacancies at the end of last year uh 980, uh people who left businesses resigned rather than were dismissed as well so that's where the kind of great resignation bit comes from but uh dragging it back to staffing i think there has been a, a, a reshuffle i think people have um they've had they had an experience within their business in 2020 which they may or may not have liked you know furlough may not have been uh democratic they may not have been felt valued as as individuals in the business they may have thought that uh again during a hiring freeze when no one could really transact anything the uh the companies that really invested in digital transformation all their own purpose around things like dni or esg or, or preparing for for winter uh, sorry preparing for summer and winter probably did better at keeping their talent than those that yeah. just thought they could sell their way out of it so yeah. I, I think that they're not not necessarily a, a shortage but i think uh people have been a lot more choosy about who they're working for and they and they want to see security purpose and, and and growth but they want to see their role in that growth as well um, it's not surprising that we've seen companies like ssq um, announcing employee ownership schemes as well i think that's going to be a lot more popular so i think again the assertion of the individual um and the individual talent and an awareness of their value and, and really making that work for them over the last year I think, and the digital transformation thing is interesting because it's always been something that's been banded around in recruitment, but it's a bit like automation, AI, all of the buzzwords that are often used in recruitment that is often quite an untangible thing. Um, easy to easy to buy lots of stuff that has got that words within uh, the ROI statements that the suppliers give, but often in recruitment, I don't see it enabled. If that makes sense, I don't, I don't, I don't hear anyone telling me as often as I'd like that is. Lisa, as a result of doing X, Y, and Z, um, I have transformed my business in this specific way and the ROI has been whatever it mm. needs to be. Although I was talking to someone literally before this call who as a result of the automations that they've set up within the business is allowing um, some of their heads of state within the business. And this is something that would be music to everyone's ears because if they've got kids this is important it's coming up to the summer if we know anything pre-covid we know that the summer holidays if you've got kids are a certain age are a freaking nightmare um <laughs> because 
uh, summer clubs often like to operate between the hours of 10 and 2, which obviously doesn't work when you're a full-time parent. In the very least, when you've got kids at school, you'll know this, Alex, at least you could scrap around between 9 and 3, confident in the knowledge that your kids are being sorted out. Some of us don't have the benefit of wraparound care because those have been uh, you know, the great resignation or the great shutdown, we want to call it, with these particular companies. And what this particular uh, recruitment business owner, got about 70 staff, got fully bought into automation within the business, is going to allow her heads of state to do, is take a little bit of time off in July and August so that her kids, their kids can have a decent work-life, they can have a decent work-life balance with their kids during the summer holidays, as opposed to what normally happens, which is make do and mend, messing about, really, really uncost effective childcare. Mm. Normally we look at digital transformation as something that's really affecting the candidate and client, making us more money. But mm. actually what this digital transformation has done, again, going back to the assertion of the individual, spent more time with your kids over the last two years and weirdly enjoyed it mm. and actually the fact that we don't have access to as much care as we'd like well let's come up with a way of making it so that it doesn't matter anymore so that that might add a little bit more icing to your lovely cake that you've baked there about the great resignation digital automation all of that lovely stuff mm. things yeah, can think- come back around full circle and be quite good yeah, well, I, I think there's a really important point to make about tech transformation, and, and we've seen lots of examples of transformed businesses through our Tiara Awards program. So, we and, and you're a judge on that, so you see some yeah, of those as well. Absolutely. I think I think the really important uh, point to make is that transformation is cultural. It's 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 not technical. Technology and automation and lots of other tools are are you know can be used as part of a transformation project. Um, but but if you're if you're transforming your business, it really means you're turning it from from being a, a certain kind of business run in a certain kind of way to a different one so with all the conversations that we've convened over the last couple of years and we've been talking about digital transformation or tech transformation for some time whether you're acquiring technology or whether you're building yourself or you know whether you're partnering to do something but ultimately someone in that business has had to decide what kind of business they are you know whether they are a technology company whether a consultancy they're an advisory firm you know whether a platform all those kind of things and so i think the first point to make is that the 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 most enlightened in the industry have had that conversation with themselves have thought about where the growth is and and the kind of business they want to be and then they've used technology uh and they've and they've managed their culture they managed communication within that business and training as well to be able to get everyone on the same page understand the vision and purpose for that business and then they've transformed using technology i think the other point to pick up on and you said it right at the start as well was you you know you describe recruitment as the fourth emergency service i think you know that that's definitely a debate um and you know there are lots of other ones but i think there are I think a really, I mean, it's something we talk about a lot at our events actually is that uh, recruitment should be perceived as a professional service, uh, not just perceived as, but also, you know, they should be generating the kind of margins that you would get from a professional service as well. And I think what has happened over the last couple of years, and again, we've certainly seen this with the, you know, the move of private equity into staffing. You know, we, we had our M&A event uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, you know, one of our speakers made the point that the reason that private equity is more interested in staffing now is because it's proved its resilience. It's, it's adopted uh, technology to be able to do more with less. Uh, there's more uh, opportunities to scale personalization within recruitment businesses. And as you as you rightly said, you've now got consultants who haven't just got better work-life balances, but they're actually able to be more consultative. They're able to, you know, able to build more relationships and, uh, you know, and, and start to predict 
uh, pipelines and candidate pipelines around new roles that are emerging as well. So all those lovely things are brought private equity in. Private equity is bringing more technology talent into the sector as well and, and CEOs with MBAs from other sectors who are used to scaling businesses with technology. And that, again, is feeding back into this idea of uh, recruitment being more of a professional service enabled by technology. And that that will improve the margins that, that, that recruitment is able to achieve. I think the next stage is uh, what is the industry doing as a whole uh, and what are those who champion the recruitment sector doing as a whole to, to really um, change that perception of recruitment so that, that, that people do understand it as a professional service and, and pay what they should be paying for it, particularly when it's really, really good. So I think, um, yeah, automation's had an impact, technology's had an impact, but it only has an impact if, if people understand what you're transforming uh, into in the first place. Mm. I wonder then, let's talk about question number two. So the focus, obviously, we're saying, what does the, what does the average recruitment leader need to focus on? We're saying candidate shortage. I'm still hearing, and I think I will continue to hear, yeah, actually, Lisa, most of the candidates we placed last year we already had, but we spent a crazy amount of time and money looking for them outside of our systems. Mm. That's where digital automation needs to sort that out. That is also what's potentially going to uh, help you keep the ca the colleagues that you've got right now from quitting and going to other industries because they're burnt out, they're sick of sourcing all day long, all of the myths around all of this stuff. But let's move on. So my name's Jane or John Smith or whatever, and I run a recruitment business or I'm a leader in a recruitment business. And I need to get more out of my people. I need to get more out of my data, my systems, because I know that I can't just put a job advert anymore and fill it within seconds. I know, and, and, and you might have different stats from me on this, Alex, but I understand that it costs the average recruitment leader about $10,000K, whatever you want to call it, to hire and get on board and billing a new recruiter. But obviously, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to spend that. Could we not just keep the people we've got and make them more effective, more productive, not just make them work longer hours? So that's a discussion point for the next part of this podcast. How do we get more from what we already have without the need to spend crazy amounts of money buying new stuff when we've got very little capacity in our business to find new people and get them onboarded? Surely it's better to work with what we've already got. Any thoughts on that, sir? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, for the insight, incidentally, that we get from the in-house side of our audience, which is about half of our audience, so we you know we convene a lot of events for yeah. heads of HR, TA, and resourcing, and and uh, you know what what they want from their recruitment partners, their staffing and RPO partners, is support with their internal mobility and skills mapping. So they are very much focused on the talent they already have. They yeah. they're also very very highly educated and and very aware about the impact of technology as well. They you know and they actually want their recruitment partners to be very good you know, to be better at helping them you know deploy and assess technology as well so i think so so there's a client-led element to this that is very mm. much um you know they're, they're looking internally but um the last uh, employer benchmark report that we produced actually uh, a really interesting insight was what they also want from their staffing partners and their rpo partners is consistency they want to be dealing with the same people they don't want to have to keep dealing with different recruiters all the time as well they want to build relationships with them and because they want those recruiters to help them with their strategies not just their tactics so that's so that's the client demand side i think what we've definitely seen you know within staffing and rpo as well is that there's been technology solutions sat around for ages that just haven't been used uh you know certainly not used properly they've 
have not been optimized. I think what the suppliers have become better at over the last couple of years is helping their clients to better use, you know, better adopt and optimize their technology and really helping them to understand some of the analytics around that, some of the data around that to, to, so they can actually step back and look at trends, you know, with what they're doing rather than, I think someone made a point at event uh, of ours last week that, you know, one of their staff looked very, very busy and was dealing with demand, but they weren't being productive. They were just dealing with, you know, furious firefighting demand. You know, productivity is a very, very different thing. So I think, um, again, I mean, a couple of examples, you know, Sourcebreaker, you know, does an enormous amount of yeah. training and makes the, you know, makes the point that, you know, you've got to get leadership involved. You've got to keep the vision front of mind and the purpose front of mind. You've got to, you know, whether you gamify it or you get some element of competition, you've got to keep keep training going and make it very proactive and live. Um, and then Audrey made the point about, you know, it's video technology, you know, it's focusing yeah. on scaling personalization, but they, they also found that, um, they were able to point out the hiring managers were only looking at the full video for certain candidates and only partial video for other candidates. So they had data to support the fact that hiring managers had their own bias and they were and they were not taking uh, more diverse candidates through to the next stage because of their own prejudices. And they had data to support that as well. So I think again, you know, that point about if you haven't got someone in the business who's able to, you know, to to look at the data and think uh, and 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 plan then you need to get that person in the business because uh, that that should be a priority for everyone because the the, the firefighting and the boom um yeah. will not last it just will not last and so you've got to have somebody who's able to think and plan for for the, the downturn as well we um we and my clients listening to this will know that we we subscribed in, in a with a small s to a, a mantra called traction it's, it's it's a book it's a business book mm. basically and it it has things like level tens and rocks and EOS and things like that. But it's it's brilliant for tiny businesses like mine because it creates a way of being that's simple and easy to replicate and that staff can buy into. It's not just you have to do an MBA on it, but it also helps bigger clients work. And one of the things that it, it helped my business do, and it's helped my clients' businesses do, because we've helped them with it as well, is it helps them understand that in every business you need a visionary. You need someone who's going to have 20 crazy ideas, but one or two of them, if you do it, will be amazing. They've always got their eye on the in the distance, figuring out what's likely to happen, being ready. And then you have at least one integrator. And the integrator is likely to be an operational, can do, get stuff done, that they're not necessarily going to have a vision for the business necessarily in the truest sense, but they will get stuff done when it needs to be done. And I think, again as we've been through the last few years and we are there's going to be something else that's going to happen in 2022 and there's going to be something else that's going to happen in 2023 i just think if you're right and it's not the aliens that need to sober up right so we put that to bed now we know that it's not aliens mm. we know that this is just how it's going to be and even when you backtrack and you think well when did all of this craziness start if you just go back in time it never really stopped it's just that we we kidded ourselves that business as usual was how it is. But we've come back from COVID. All sorts of other stuff is hitting us in ways that we didn't anticipate it would hit us. So like you say, the leaders of the business need to be those visionaries. They need to be the ones ready to deal with and create plans for what we haven't even come across yet, let alone the fact that the workforce is changing in a way that we hadn't foreseen. And therefore, our processes and systems and training need to change as well. 
so i think <laughs> just on sorry. just on that um lisa sorry just just to finish up because yeah because i totally i totally uh, get that and i think you know the, the often the most successful you know scale up relationship you know from a founder perspective as a co-founder where you've got a visionary and, and as you say a detailed person so yeah. that you know, you can you can refine that idea down i think the uh, you know again going back to private equity having having somebody on the board who's able to look you know look at the wider industry and also markets outside of it and say actually that's really where the opportunity is and that's really where transformation should be directed not there but also so you know again if you're if you're a single founder get an md you know or if you're if you're taking investment you know really maximize your property but i think the other thing as well is is that networking element that um you know learn from other people in the industry and there are lots of networking which is obviously talent partners is fantastic for the quality of people that we get in a room but being able to have a conversation about you know take your head out of your business and look up meerkat like at what's going on in the rest yeah. of the industry across the spectrum of you know small medium and large businesses and see what they're investing in and why really does help with that that perspective you know that vision of uh, what you know where you should be putting your energy Mm, absolutely and it's having that focus and and again it's not necessarily having 100 uh, 365 day plans anymore because <clears throat> very few of those are going to going to be real mm. we tend to work to 90 day plans now it, it just works fine with what our clients are trying to do mm. right in terms then we've got to get more from our people but we obviously need to think about how we do that rather than just asking them to work longer hours and coming into the office those are just statements that doesn't affect any kind of change and it probably won't help either mm. so Talk to me about practical tips. For me, the people are at the heart of all of this. They've caused the most disruption, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. We know this because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get out of the country on Thursday last week and for the first time in three years. And could I get on a plane? Uh, no, they didn't have enough staff in the airport. So people are at the heart of everything that we're doing. Now more than ever, we need to fixate on um, them being as productive and effective as possible. And like we say, hiring them doesn't fix the problem. Mm. Uh, paying them doesn't necessarily help. Promising them more stuff, giving them more systems, giving them more data doesn't fix the problem. So what practical tips do you personally have with all of the wealth of experience you've had and the data sets that you've got your paws on, Alex, mm. to help recruitment leaders think about not just buying things and going, well, I bought it for you, weren't you using it, but actually saying, right, the people are at the heart of my business. I don't want to spend crazy amounts of money replacing them every six months. What can I do to get more out of them? So talk to me about that. So I, I mean, I, I noticed this when I first started working in in this, you know, my my tenth industry actually. That uh, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the staffing industry has got the highest attrition I've seen anywhere. Yeah. I've worked in property, you know, I've worked in insurance, electrical engineering, all of it, um, and it was more than tolerated. It was almost encouraged that you yeah. know the, the I mean, I, you know, I don't know if everyone remembers all the debates about millennials and uh, you know millennial bashing and how we're going to adjust to the mm -hmm. millennial demands and expectations and stuff. Um, that you know, the two year tour of duty was the norm for them. Well, the two your tour of duty is the norm for everyone yeah. uh, so so you know and, and i do think there's first of all that sense of you know the the expectation the expectations of a founder owner or what might be now an executive chairman of a company that's been running for 30 or 40 years based on the way we all used to work and the way we always to treat you know be treated by our employers and how we used to behave as employees it has all completely changed you know, part of yeah. that is technology part of that is you know great big life-changing global events like pandemics and stuff like that which accelerate it but i think yeah. that's that the first thing to understand really is is motivation and incentive anyway that that actually mm. everyone is motivated by different things so mm. all the things you mentioned about you know what employers can be doing to to create some stickiness within their business and again dni um you know purpose vision although all those kind of things help mm. 
but I think it's it, they're all in combination and they all have to be you know, personalized for people working in your business because you know a founder that's planning to exit their business in three years is is you know if, if they're very open about that with people they're bringing into their business certainly a you know management or leadership level will get buy-in because they're all going to get a payout but yeah. someone at junior level coming into that business who's not going to get any any of that doesn't really care but then you know they do they days or or personal development or you know or just or working in a core location might be the motivator for them so i think the yeah. first thing is um you know the 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 reason that most people leave businesses is because of poor management in the first place so you need good managers who really care about people who are, who are taking time to actually have the one-to-ones they should be having with them there is a coaching culture within the business where either you know managers are really good coaches or you've got peers you know coaching each other as well that's that's in my experience it's always been the most sticky factor that you know you, you get buy into an organization if it take if it cares about you as an individual but you as part of a team as well i think if you're in a you know a, a, a scale-up or a startup business then i think you have to have a really clear vision of you know of uh you know what what the business is trying to achieve the problem it's trying to solve in the industry you know how you're going to be part of that growth plan and how you're going to live and how you're going to benefit from that if you're in a very very large business then again it is you know what what is my career direct trajectory you know what are the opportunities for me and are you going to let me work the way i want to work because i've just discovered that actually i do i do enjoy spending time with my teenage kids i don't want to be you know, turning around in 10 20 years you know being very successful but not knowing my children so i think so understanding personal motivation is is you know runs under every Every single business and everyone needs to be get better at that because um 85 blame poor management whenever they leave a business they don't talk about pay or anything else they uh, they just talk about avoidance so sort yeah. that out i think as well even before covid came along there was a stat that always um inspired me to nag my clients which was a third of workers who quit in 2019 when they were asked why did you why did you leave they said because i hadn't been trained to do my job properly Mm. And I look at that and obviously it's really easy to be a helicopter and, and fly above everything and, and judge everyone and go, wow, we saw that come in. But I did see, I didn't see Kobe come in, but I did see the disruption to a lot of businesses out there, which is they're working from home and I don't really know what they're doing. Mm. And that's causing many leaders to, to lose sleep, lose staff, lose money, and then have to panic about how they deal with it. They're now massively scaling up. But my, my one wish, if we go back to the beginning of this, is, you know, how do we create focus? If we say that, if we say our conclusion from all of this is that we we understand that there is more disruption to come. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I think we mm. just have to be responsible adults and admit Uh, that the things that are happening in the world are going to be continuous. If it's not one thing, it's another. We've become Mm. greedy to the chaos, right? Mm. So if we we admit that and we sink into the role of, right, we need to be ready for the next thing that's going to happen. But what's the constant that's going to enable us to keep that that boat afloat? Well, until someone comes to any recruitment leader out there and says, we can replace all of your humans with robots and they're going to be just as as effective if not, we know that's not the case. Then Mm. we say, right, well, well, we've obviously got to cope with the humans and rightly so. So what are we going to do about that? If we could go back in time and talk to our younger selves in 2019 and Lisa was going on about third of the people who quit your jobs or your business did so because you hadn't trained them and I don't think it costs ten thousand pounds to train a person but it does cost them that cost you that to replace them then we go back in time again if we had our wicked way what would we do differently we'd automate what we could so we could fixate on the stuff that we want to really be good at and then we look at the humans and we say what do we need to do differently with them do we just buy them loads more tech do we allow them to fixate on um 
the crappy data that they've got and drown in that and then buy more systems to compensate for that? Or do we have a good hard look as the visionaries and say, we need to be ready for the next thing that's going to happen to our business. And with the and the humans in that business need to be ready for the next thing that's going to happen in that business. Mm. Because like you say, Alex, you've spent a bit of time with your kids now and you know it's not so bad, she says. I, I think no, we all I've, had that realisation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and, and your point about training is, you know, is, is absolutely spot on. I think, you know, I've, I've heard so many people talking about, the, you know, the, the real challenge of having to adapt to remote working for most recruitment businesses is that you've got, you know, more junior people who can't learn from being in a room with experienced people. But it's, you know, straight away, you get the sense that most people think that you only learn by osmosis in recruitment businesses. So you hear one side of a conversation or you might you might get access to the full, you know, the full recording of a two way conversation and all those kind of things. Or someone leaning over saying, actually, that objection, I've dealt with that in a different way before. You might want to learn this. It's 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 not structured enough. It's not formal enough. It's not you know, it's not impactful enough. Um, and I know lots of people have, have, you know, have started looking at you know, more meaningful training in, in the staffing industry. And I think that's really important because people are going to stay at home. If you if you you know, if you were working from your bedroom from one company and then you've got a job at another company, you're still working in your bedroom. You need to have a connection to the business you've just joined. And part of that is going to be culture and purpose and all those kind of things. But part of that is that you're being invested in it to, to be better at your job. And I think that point about, you know, recruitment is a professional service. And if you want to be getting the margins as a, as a professional service provider, you need to be trained to do that. You need to be a better consultant. You know, you need to be able to leverage your network and really understand how you build business within a business because ultimately you know i think most, most recruiters want to see growth leaders in their business mm. but again i think there's been this view of um why should i train people who aren't going to be here in a year's time or yeah. two years time i think well then you know you're, you're, you've created a culture where people should be leaving in two years yeah. um change that culture i think just very briefly i mean i and i mentioned this quite a lot in some of our sessions but i you know uh, i had the pleasure of uh chairing um uh, a kind of roundtable discussion between you know creative agency leaders a, a few years ago and, and one of them said that he had a 1000 pound mind body and soul budget for everyone everyone in his business because he was you know he was really obsessed with the retention of his of his talent um and they could spend it on anything it could be personal development professional development it could just be you know holidays take time off you know whatever, whatever it might be um a lot of it was tied to the kind of coaching and appraisals and what they should be improving and stuff but when they came around to their um salary review if they hadn't spent that 1000 pounds then their salary review would be kicked down the roof another six months because if they're not in investing in themselves then why should you invest them it was a really really good way of them um saying look we it's here for you we want you to use it but you're not using yeah. it and they kind of punished them for it but mm. those people said i get it you know now i get it yeah. and i'm going to earn it and i'm going to develop yeah. and everything else so yeah, i think it's that change change you know uh, we we also did a session on how do you manage your toxic top performers you know and, and the, the conclusion was the road there's no such thing as toxic people it's toxic behavior if you um if you encourage toxic behavior then you're going to keep seeing it in your business but if you're encouraging a more coaching you know personal professional development culture in your mm. business you're going to see growth mm. in your business so invest in it Absolutely. All good stuff. Alex, that was absolutely astounding. Evidently, um, they're going to want act, the people listening are going to want access to your talent insights and the documentation that the stats and the the the, the, the brain food that you've alluded to throughout this. So I'll make sure that I put that in the link in inside this podcast. Um, evidently, as well, there are going to be probably countless events and other resources uh, that people in the recruitment industry can also get the pause on so they can also be found in the link to the, this podcast as well. 
Brilliant. Now, obviously, oh, sorry, go on. No, just I, I really enjoy uh, talking to you as well. Absolutely. And obviously, be sure everyone that's listening, whether you're listening in 2022 or 2023 or beyond, that there's obviously the annual talent awards. Um, not just a glittery gig, I must stress. As a judge on these awards, and I've blogged about this before, you win an award, you make more money. You win an award, you hire better staff. You win an award, you can sack off some of your clients that you don't want to work with anymore. You win an award, you probably don't have to deal with as many counter offers. All of the challenges that you've got in your business right now, an award can invariably, if you work it right, fix them, as well as all the other stuff that Alex and I have talked about today. Alex, thanks ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Cheers.